We've been studying the principles of prayer as revealed in the Word of God. And today, building upon what we've emphasized heretofore, I want to focus with you on the secret of the blood covenant. You've been given notes as you've come in the door, so you can follow us, or you can do it online as well. How can a person expect and believe for great victories in their life? On what basis can we do that? You know, God in his great love has made provision for you and me through the blood of the covenant that's been made with us. You'll recall in Old Testament days that people could not directly come into God's presence. There was a tent that was made for the children of Israel, and then that gave way to a more permanent facility when the temple was built. And they knew that God's divine presence dwelt in that holy of holies, as it was called. And once a year, the priest would go in behind the curtain, if you will, and would offer prayers and intercede for the people for their sins. This method had to be repeated every year, and people would bring an animal, of course, and the animal, um, as we discussed several weeks ago, needed to be one that was um, the best of the herd, and the blood of that animal was then placed upon the altar. And Jesus changed all of this the day he hung on the cross as we have been celebrating him this morning. So we want to focus this morning on Jesus' finished work. May I propose to you this morning what I believe with every fiber of my being, that Jesus is the perfect Savior. He is the perfect Savior. Jesus came to earth for several reasons. He came, first of all, to die. He came to die for you and for me, Hebrews 2 and 9. But we see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. That he would taste death or experience death for every person. The Bible reveals to us that Jesus became a man, left the ivory palaces of heaven, as the songwriter wrote, and came to earth that he might die, and through his death, provide for our salvation. Our understanding of this beautiful fact produces assurance every time we have a need or a burden. It also helps us understand our past, our present, and our future through the eyes of the finished work of Christ, our great Savior. He became lower than angels, the Bible says. In his place in heaven with Father, he was above angelic hosts. And angels came and worshipped him, but when he came to earth, he humbled himself and became lower than angels for a season, the Bible tells us in this verse. It's an, it's an illustration of the, the supreme humility that Jesus suffered for us. He is now crowned in heaven, Hebrews tells us in this verse. He's crowned in heaven, and because of his great salvation, we can all rejoice and celebrate by God's grace, he tasted or experienced death and paid the price for your sin and mine so that I don't have to pay the price. My own blood is not worthy to pay the price for even my, my own sins or anybody else's. But Jesus tasted death for me and for you. He is our perfect Savior. Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5 tells us, but when the 
set time had fully come. In other words, the Greek language reminds us it was the precise moment in history. Just at the precise moment, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us, under the, those that were under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. The whole plan of God was that a family would be emerging from the earth, people that would accept the provision of God's grace and come to follow Jesus. He tasted death for me and for you. John tells it like this, 1 John 4, 10. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's why every one of us should be extremely careful how we respond to him. There should be such reverence, even when you say the name of Jesus. He's the embodiment of God's perfect plan. I hope you serve him with great reverence. He didn't just come to die. Jesus came to conquer death. Jesus came to conquer death. In Hebrews 2 and verse 14, for as much then as the children are partakers, or literally share with the flesh and blood, he himself also likewise took part of the same. He, he became someone just like you with flesh and blood. Hit his thumb with a hammer and blood would come out just like you. Face betrayal just like you. Face pain just like you. Was discouraged just like you. Face the temptation to be that way, yet he never sinned. No notice that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver, literally to free, them who through the fear of death were their whole lifetime subject to bondage. So all humans have flesh and blood. We are all alike. It says he shared in like ways what you go through. In other words, he relates to every emotion, every test, every burden that you have ever faced or perhaps are facing this morning. He came to destroy Satan's power over people, and he alone provides victory over sin. Somebody give him praise this morning. He alone gives victory over sin. He broke the fear of death, he says in this passage, off of people. So you don't have to live every day, oh, baby, I'll die today, and you don't have to live that way. I haven't feared dying one day since I made Jesus the Lord of my life. It wasn't that way before Christ came in. Jesus came to die. Jesus came to conquer death. But Jesus also came to help you. Hebrews 2, verse 16. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. You see, the day you accepted Jesus, you became part of the Abrahamic connection, the covenant that God made with Abraham that I, I know you're familiar with for being here in this church is discussed quite often. Verse 17, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. He is able to help you. 
you've been tempted to be discouraged or feel like the circumstance you have, there's no way out. You look at the circumstance in our country right now, fiercely divided. Friends that you once were close to, when they find out your persuasion about certain opinions that you may, you may hold to, you no longer have them as a friend. We have unusual things happening in our country. There's frustration at a, at a high capacity today. There's negative. It's easy to start thinking negatively and make negative confessions. But he is able to help you because he has been through all of these things. But he is merciful and faithful, the Bible says. He is our merciful and faithful high priest. So I remind you, he is our perfect Savior. But he's also much more than that. He is the great high priest. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we, to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. It's very hard to control your emotions when you've been hurt or misjudged or see the total depravity or deception that fills our country today. Could I remind you several things? He understands our weakness. He has unequaled capacity to sympathize with you in every way. You look at a teenage kid this week who's all excited about going to school and he's got to sit in his house with a, in front of a computer. He understands the, the, the chaos. The salvation Jesus offers saves us from spiritual death and it brings spiritual life. Hallelujah. He understands your feelings, your emotions. He withstood temptation. And because he did, so can you. In frustration over a fallen world, many lose heart and go, what difference does one vote make anyway? What difference does one sign in the yard make anyway? What difference does it, if I compromise and just do whatever, what, would, what difference would it make? But Jesus is our example of strength over weakness. Let him strengthen you today. Notice his perfect provision. Why should you be a prayer warrior? Verse 16 of Hebrews 4, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thank God. He calls us to come into his presence. He calls us to come now. He calls us to keep coming. He calls us to keep coming. Find your strength in me, the Lord is telling us. The one who understands you perfectly knows how to provide for you completely. Completely. So come near with confidence. Amen. Your prayers and petitions are welcome and desired. The Bible says that the prayer of the righteous is his delight. He's excited to hear from you. 
You ever call a friend, they go, oh, I haven't heard from you in so long. I'm so happy to hear your voice. How much more the prayer of the righteous person is his delight. It's called the throne of grace because something will flow from that throne that you don't deserve, that you are, you, it's above your pay grade to earn. It's the grace, the goodness of God, the unmerited favor of God that comes to people that don't deserve it. Father loves to pour out the strength, the stamina, the success in life that you need. So come boldly and let him help you. And finally this morning, I want to talk about the secret to victory in prayer. Many pray to God and do not ask him to cleanse themselves before they come into his presence. And they wonder why little happens no matter how long they pray. I want to just remind you that confession is the key. Confession is the key. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. Remember the curtain that you couldn't get through. You, it was only for the priest to go behind. Now the curtain's been torn from the top to the bottom, from heaven to mankind, and we understand just what the Word of God says. By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us notice the facts here. Sin will always block mountains being moved. Insensitivity to that which bothers God will cause friction between you and him. Cleansing is needed. You remember the song? It's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord. We don't hear too much of that anymore. It's more like, hey, you, hey, you. Let's start in here. Amen. I said, I put a note here, wait till they stop dancing, shouting, all that. Cleansing is needed. Careful attention to my heart and your heart is necessary for victory. Let me just illustrate with several biblical accounts before I close this morning. And I wanna just focus for a second on confession always releases power. If you study Daniel chapter nine, Daniel was a beloved man of God. God listened to him. He comes in ninth chapter and confesses his sin and the sins of his people to God. It's an amazing study. Let me amplify several things that are said there. He said, we have sinned before you. We have committed iniquity. We have been wicked. We have rebelled against you. We have departed from your purpose and from your precepts. 
We have not listened to your servants. Following this amazing time of confession and contrition on behalf of this this stately older man, Daniel, the angel Gabriel, the most powerful angel, comes to Daniel right then and reveals to him about the 70 weeks, matters that are astounding in their significance for us today. Contrition, confession brings the anointing in that case. I'm reminded of Isaiah. The Bible says in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And Isaiah said, the first impression I have is, I'm done. I'm done. I can't, I'm unclean. Here's a holy man who's a prophet of God in the making. And he says, I'm undone. I'm not qualified to be in the presence of a holy God like this. What we see in that snapshot is critical. An angel flies off the altar with a coal and touches him on the lips. And he says, you're cleansed. And the first thing God says is, who's going to go for me? Who shall I send? Quite an amazing statement. It reminds us that God's got people on his mind today. We need a fresh revelation of Jesus, high and lifted up. Many of history's most amazing revivals have happened by people who humble themselves and ask God to heal their land. People need to repent of lukewarmness. I listened to maybe the greatest NBA basketball player of our era say how irritated he was that he was selected to be the number two most valuable player. Such an utter lack of humility instead of saying, I'm so honored that you would even put me in as number two with the abilities that God has given. No, it was about its pride. Pride is stinking before God. I noticed that 35% of the viewers for NFL have decided not to watch anymore because of issues with what's in the hearts of some of those NFL players, some of them. May God help us. Charles Finney wrote an autobiography of of his life, and he relates powerful revivals in America during the 19th century happened when people prayed and asked God to cleanse them and to heal their land. Jonathan Goforth's book, By My Spirit, tells the remarkable revivals in China underneath the thumb of communist leadership, millions being executed for their faith, 
revivals nonetheless were blooming and fostered by people who prayed and humbled themselves. If God answered those people then, don't you think he'll answer us now if we come boldly to the throne of grace and ask God for help? Verse 22 said, so let us ever be drawing near to God. Ever be drawing near to God. Faith and drawing near to God are inseparable. I believe he's there. I believe he's waiting for your voice and mine to be heard. I believe he's waiting to say, if you'll just cleanse your hands and your heart and come into my presence, I'll listen and I'll change things. I want to see our nation healed by the power of God. God can do it. He's done it before. He can do it again. I want your children and grandchildren and my grandchildren to experience firsthand what revival is really like when it sweeps through the land. I want to see the kind of revival come to America that stops the wicked emphasis of demonic forces. I'm looking forward to the mighty power of God being on display in such a way that God would where people would tremble to say things and do things that are ungodly. May God send the kind of revival that breaks bad habits in people. The things that are being seen now in movies and so forth and, and cultural revolution, let me just say to you, these are things used to be done in back alleys where people were afraid to come out on Main Street. God needs to send America a revival that's the only hope for us if we'll pray and seek God and ask him to help us. God is interested. The kind of revival that puts, puts tears back in our eyes. Humility within our hearts and a passion to see people come to know Jesus and know his power. Do you have that on your heart today? Do you have that inside of you that you want to see God change America, that you want to see God change your home and mine? Do we want to see that, that holiness in our walk and faith in our life? Wouldn't you love to see that kind of revival in America today? God is waiting to do just that. He wants to heal our city. He wants to make things the way he wants them to be. Some people will never change. We understand that. But there's no person who cannot change if they want to. Anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Ah, praise God. Praise God. More than 100 years ago, a Frenchman came to America searching for the secret of this country's greatness. At the end of his study, these are what his words, you've probably heard these before, this is what he said. I sought for America's greatness. I did not find it in her fields, in her forests or farms. I found it not in her mines or factories. I found it not in her fleets or commerce. I found it not in her Congress or courts. It was only when I entered her churches and heard her preachers preaching righteousness that I discovered her greatness. America is great because America is good. If America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. I say amen. amen. May God help us. Would you stand with me in the closing moments of our time together this morning?
Father, we acknowledge our need of your ability to cleanse our eyes that we would not be jaded by what's happening around us, that we would not lose track of the fact that you are still a, a holy, righteous king ruling in power. We see what's happening and we humanly can be conscious of, of our human frailty, but Lord, you're calling us to come into your throne of grace that we may find mercy and help in our time of need. Oh God, we need you. We need you. So we ask you to cleanse our hearts, clean our hands, our minds, and may we look to this great Savior, this great Deliverer who has come to deliver us from sin and apathy. May we just come boldly, Lord, to your throne of grace even today to find mercy to help us in our time of need. I pray that not one of us would give up on these hours when fighting the fight, fighting the battle for the heart and soul of this nation, oh God, is at the door. Would you help us? Would you help us in our families? Would you help us never to lose heart, but always to stay strong in you? May our hands be strengthened for the battle today. May our hearts be strengthened, Lord God, Lord God, that we would see you high and lifted up and we would refuse to be intimidated by forces of darkness all around us. You've called us, Lord, to be people that would move mountains through prayer. Would you help us? Help us as a family to boldly take what is ours and claim the high ground for you. We pray for our nation today, fiercely divided, broken. Some want us to become a nation that is completely foreign to how the nation was ever founded and formed. Oh God, would you help us as a nation? We need your favor on America. We need your favor in our state, in our city. We need your favor, oh God, in our communities. We need your touch, oh God. We ask you to solve us. Give us our a full attention to turn our attention to you, Lord Jesus, fully and in faith believing. Would you help us, Lord Jesus? Help us, Lord Jesus. Let us be the men and women you've ordained us to be.